Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Michael Amade Show, episode 476, Hans Zimmer Career Advice from Example. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This last week on Friday, I found myself, and I'm, I'm open about these things because I think this is valuable, hopefully, um, that I really had this moment where that inner critic was, uh, was really, really loud. And I had so much pressure and so much work. I mean, so many things that need to be done. It ended up feeling kind of dark, and I was going down this this road, and I was ended up talking to, and and of course, knowing that it's not something that's going to last. I knew I need to let it kind of pass, and I, I have some tools to kind of help head it off, but it was still pretty prevalent. And uh, I think in the past, like years ago, um, it would have spun me into a, a little bit longer of a depression. As it was, it was like a day, a day and a half, something like that. Um, but really, I was talking to my, my radio show partner, and I was kind of expressing how I felt like I was just doing absolutely nothing. Like, I felt um, like I was really underperforming, uh, even though I had all these other results that were complete to the contrary. And he was basically telling me, like, don't pay attention to your brain. Because <laughs> he can see my results, which is why I even bring it up to him, because he can see my results, and he turns it back on me in a way that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is completely insane that I'm thinking this. He's a really good way of doing this. And... What I ended up doing was um, kind of going back in the next day into reaffirming what I'm doing, reaffirming kind of my attitude and the way I'm going about it, and just re-kind of calibrating my goals and my values that I'm, I'm putting forward in this work so I can maintain that confidence and keep the momentum and keep the high vibing thing. And there's a phrase I heard the other day, which I'm going to be going to a lot more this week, which is success usually comes to the person who is the most engaged, but also the least attached. So the person who is the most involved, the most engaged, the one who's the most active in the current situation or the project, but yet also doesn't need it so much that they're grasping and like um, have that, that lack of abundance, right? And the moment that we were able to be actively engaged and also not as attached, it really brings some great results. So that's something I think that comes from an abundant and happy mindset and like a joyous mindset, which is not my default. Um, and I think it's not the default of a lot of people. If it is, great for you. But for a lot of people, it's not. So really, we need more techniques to get there. And so I'll discuss those things as we go forward. But as I was going through this this thing where I was kind of reaffirming the values and why I was doing things, I went back to this kind of swipe file, this, sw- this file that I keep of all these awesome ideas and, and concepts about uh, career and just how to live life. And there was one article that I really liked. It was written by a guy named Michael A. Levine, and he has a website called BehindTheAudio.com. Uh, and this, or actually it's not his website, I think it's just an article that he put in, um, and I'll link to it in the description, but it's called why Hans Zimmer got the job you wanted and you didn't. And Hans Zimmer, for those of you who don't know, is a very famous film composer. Um, he's done all kinds of huge, huge films, including like most of the Marvel movies, the Lion King, which is now to like the, the reboot of that's coming out. And so, um, I felt like this was kind of timely. There's a few points in this article, and Michael A. Levine was Hans Zimmer's assistant for uh, about eight years. And so I wanted to kind of put down some points that he said about why he thought Hans Zimmer got the job of the most popular or one of the most popular film composers in the world 
and why all of these other people who are trying to be that exact same person or have that exact same job didn't get it. So let's just get into it right now. And just as a quick aside, you know, this is about film composing, this is about music, but these are absolutely things I think that can be applied to any career, any job, um, anything that you might be trying to get to. This is valuable, valuable stuff. And that's kind of why I read it. It's not that I'm trying to do Hans Zimmer's job. It's more just allows me to think about the way that I want to show up and present myself in the work that I'm doing. As we get into this, I want to read a little bit. I'm not going to like read the whole article verbatim, obviously. That's why I'll, I'll put it down there. But I want to read a little bit of the, the kind of the preamble because I think it explains something. So this is Michael A. Levine. I worked for Hans Zimmer for about eight years, five of which were at the studio at Remote Control, his facility in Santa Monica. Since leaving Remote, many people have said to me, usually in a conspiratorial tone of voice, things like this, Hans doesn't really write his own music. The studios only give him work because he's famous. He's not a real musician. He just gets his clients drunk and all the work is done by the guys in the back room and so forth. The underlying implication is that this is some underhanded semi-musician and it's that he has Hollywood in his thrall due to Svengali-like powers, and maybe someday they'll wake up and hire a, quotations, real composer, like whoever the person is whispering to me. No other composer seems to strip this kind of ire. I never hear people say, yeah, that John Williams only writes 12-line sketches, and it's up to his orchestrators to make it real music. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Hans gets what he gets, because, well, he deserves it. Here's why. The first bullet point out of five is that Hans Zimmer is a visionary. And this is this is what Levine is talking about. He says that um, Hans really has one of the most keen senses of really understanding where in a film uh, music will work. It's this process called spotting, where the director and the composer kind of decide what kind of music is needed where. Apparently Hans is one of the best that Levine has ever seen. He has this extraordinary sense of what will work. But before he even does that process, he'll spend weeks writing a thing called a suite, which is the source of all the musical themes of the film. And this really isn't even about the music. It's about the essence of what the story and the characters are. You know, Levine points out that the film composer Elmer Bernstein, who did The Magnificent Seven to Kill a Mockingbird, he's a great composer, once said that the dirty little secret is that we're not musicians, we're dramatists. And Levine goes on to say that Hans is an outstanding dramatist. He then also says that Hans fearlessly pushes himself, challenging the limits of what's acceptable in the medium. For instance, in Batman Dark Knight, long before they had footage of the film, Hans asked uh, Hitor Pereira, who plays guitar, Martin Tillman, who plays cello, and Levine, who plays violin and tenor violin, to separately record some of the variations on a set of instructions involving two notes. It's like the notes C and D, for instance. These, were in, um, these involved a fair amount of interpretation, so they're just kind of moving between these different instructions and variations. Um, it was, it's really, it sounded like an interesting project, actually. And he said, we each spent a week making hundreds of snippets. We had to listen to each other's work and then reinterpret that. The end result was this toolbox of sounds that provided Hans with the attitude of his score. So he was really trying to come up with something in a very different way. And he was pushing himself to, to 
create something different than just sticking with the status quo of what also exists. So he's extraordinary in his ability to see what is needed and where it's needed, but then he pushes himself beyond the boundaries of what's normally acceptable. Now, there's a video of a bunch of drummers in a room, great, you know, room full, just great drum kit drummers. Um, and he had them all play the same groove at the same time with some very you know, tiny little variations. It's a bit, a bit of a stunt, but it delivers a sound that you've never really heard before for the soundtrack. And uh, this is for Man of Steel. And so he just like, he's always pushing and trying to find something new and interesting to do. So that's kind of the looking into the visionary part. He knows what's needed, and then he kind of pushes himself to find a new way. And here's a second um, point. It says, Hans works very, very hard, which I think is a, a great uh, reminder for me, which I love because I love working hard. It's kind of fun. Um, this is what Levine says. When working on a project, which is most of the time, Hans usually arrives at the studio at 11 a.m. and then works until 3 or 4 in the morning, seven days a week, for months. As the deadline approaches, everything else fades away. Harry Gregson Williams, who's another great composer, once told me you could tell how far into a project Hans was by the length of his beard. At some point, he just stops shaving. I think that's a pretty powerful, uh, powerful thing to, to think about. I mean, this is a guy who's at the top of his industry. And yet, you want to tell me how many people are up and coming in the industry who work that much and that hard probably very few I mean there's probably some but probably very few work that hard or would work that hard when they got up to the top and that reminds me of Michael Jordan who was always putting in you know two three hours before practice two three hours after practice um, and he'd sometimes be the only ones out there you know the only one working yet he was already the star he was already the big one uh, on the team I think that was really fascinating. Here's one last piece of this, um, this point. They say, Hans works very fast, um, but he's not as fast as his one-time assistant, Harry, or his current go-to arranger, um, Lauren Balfe, both whom work at superhuman speed. Hans once suggested that um, I, which is Levine, work too fast. I was puzzled at the time, but what I think he was really saying is I needed to pay better attention to the little details that cumulatively make all the difference. That's interesting to say. So I think Hans purposely, he does work very fast. He works quickly. Maybe that's the way to say it. He works quickly, but maybe he purposefully slows himself down to pay attention to some of the details. That is something that I've had to kind of work on and try to instill, and I'm still working on it now. But I like to work fast uh, and quickly. But what I'm trying to do is learn how to balance that out and work quickly, but not fast. The third point here is it says Hans is the best film music producer in the business. Now, he said, Levine points out, he's not talking about technical music skills. He's not talking about, uh, you know, his ability as a pianist or as a guitarist or, or a knowledge of theory or anything like that. Um, it's really that he knows what he needs to make it sound great. And sometimes it's the right musician, sometimes it's the right library of sounds and collection of sounds, sometimes it's the right room or the right engineer or recording technique or mixing technique. All that counts in the end is the result. And it always sounds spectacular. And I'm going to move through uh, this next one fairly quickly, but it's really valuable too, which is that Hans Zimmer works with great people. If you look at the list of the musicians and the people that he's worked with, as well as the directors, um, they're some of the absolute best 
in the business. I mean, with directors, he's worked with, you know, Christopher Nolan, Gore Verbinski, Jim Brooks, Ron Howard, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Jerry Bruckheimer as like producers. Um, he just, he just keeps going, working with the absolute best. And because of that, he gets introduced to more people who are the best. That's, that's one kind of, not even really a secret, but it's just something that stands to point. The best people in an industry usually hang out together um, because not a lot of people really understand where they're coming from better than people in that same predicament. But then also, if you look at the people that have worked with him or worked um, kind of as a, an apprentice who then came up, this list is pretty crazy. If you know film music, John Powell, Harry Gregson Williams, Heto Pereira, Henry Jackman, Steve Jablonski, Lauren Balfa, Trevor Morris, Ramin uh, Jawadi, who is the guy who did the Game of Thrones theme. Uh, we could just keep going on and on and on and on. Junkie XL as well um, is a huge, huge guy. And um, these people all came from working with him or, or have had like great working relationships with him. That is something that I think we have to prioritize almost as we're working in any field is that you want to seek out the best people. You want to reach for it and you want to be able to connect with them and do the, that kind of work. You want to work with the best people because one, they help you raise your game. Two, you have to provide value. You have to kind of step up and you're getting much closer to your goal. The world needs more great artists. They don't need uh, more mediocre ones. So I think the group of people you hang out with is so important that it is worth prioritizing working with great people. All right, and here's point number five. Hans Zimmer is a charmer. I think this is really good too. Levine says, the first time Jeffrey Katzenberg heard Hans' theme for Megamind, he said, it sounds like 1968's on the French Riviera. It was not a compliment. And it wasn't wrong. Actually, what Hans had realized, and Jeffrey hadn't, was that the heart of the love story in the movie was right out of A Man and a Woman and La Nouvelle Vague. Rather than point this out, Hans just said, well, let me work on it some more. Over the next two weeks, he played revision after revision for Jeffrey, each time making just small changes to the arrangement or the structure, but keeping the same basic tune. A couple of weeks later, after Jeffrey tore apart the music for a different scene that we'd worked pretty hard on, he said, well, at least we have a great love theme. The rest of us looked at each other. When did that happen? Hans is acutely aware of the presentational aspect of our business. His capacious control room, rather than being the strictly functional wood and bland fabric of a typical studio, is a lurid red velvet, a 19th century Turkish bordello, as Hans describes it. By the way, um, side note for me, you should try to look this up. Look up Hans Zimmer's studio on like Google Images. It's pretty, uh, pretty beautiful. And there's a wall of rare analog modular synthesizers in the back. At dinner, he serves his guests fine wine and gives others cleverly appropriate, more so than lavish, gifts. As one of his clients said to me, Hans makes you feel like a great chef is inviting you into his kitchen. Now, not all of us or any of us in other industries as well can afford a Hans Zimmer level dog and pony show, but most of us can use what we have better. And if you really think about this point right here, this is the presentational aspects of the business, the relationships. Um, how do we use this in our own world? How do we use it? How do we not? One of the things that I've struggled with in the past is focusing so much on the work that I also lose focus on the presentational aspects. And this is something I really need to move into myself, but I feel like I can learn so much from a guy like Hans Zimmer. Not only that, but he kind of shows, even though he works that hard, if you ever see interviews with him, he seems kind of flippant. Oh, I'm just a musician who likes making sounds, you know, whatever. But you, you know 
there's that element of, as I've talked about on the show before, of sprezzatura, or making things uh, seem effortless when there's a lot of work. And I feel like there's a lot of that at play with Hans Zimmer. And when I said there was five points, I lied. There's six. Um, but this is the last point, and I think this is probably the heart of the matter. So we've already gone through that he is a visionary, that he knows what it takes to absolutely make everything sound great, that he has the work ethic to back it up, that he works with great people, and he's aware of the presentational aspects. He knows how to charm people. And then it all comes down to this, because none of those other things matter unless this last piece is there. And here it is, the final point. Hans Zimmer delivers. This is um, directly from Levine. Hans often gets hired for massive projects. The reason he uses an army of people is that he needs them to keep up with the demands of the directors and the studios. Halfway through Ringo, for instance, Gore Verbinski suddenly changed direction, threw almost everything out, and we had to start over. Without a team to carry out the new directions, we would have been dead. Now, there's a lot of composers who actually have that issue, where things have been turned at the last second and they couldn't keep up and they get replaced and the director loses faith the studio does so what Hans is really doing when you need to understand this instead of him being just a musician he's essentially a bespoke uh, craftsman and so he has a team that allows him to fulfill the needs of his clients whether they change their mind at the last second or they want to move forward in a different way he's able to accommodate that he also is very aware of what the power structure is who makes the decision. Levine says that he was once um, not hired after a trial period or aka fired from a film because he had jumped through hoops for the director who had brought him in, but he hadn't spent enough time figuring out what the producer, who was the actual power, wanted. Rather than being sympathetic, Hans told him that he had failed in a fundamental task, determining who was his boss. He was right, and Levine says he hasn't made that mistake again. Levine goes on to say, is Hans my favorite film composer? No. It's not even Hans's favorite film composer. Um, you know, and he can be dismissive, he can be condescending, he can be arrogant, he can be exploitive, and he can be just plain mean sometimes. And then Levine says, like he can, and like he suspects, all of we can. He does then say that Zimmer is exceptionally smart, gifted, accomplished, and hardworking. And here is the hard truth. Outside of a few rare exceptions, the people who are successful in the film business are successful because they deserve to be. They have earned it. Yes, they've been lucky. But everybody gets lucky, eventually. The question is, what do you do when good fortune arrives? If you want to be as successful as the people you admire, you need to be as smart, resourceful, and determined as they are. As Hans is. And just to correct my earlier point, and I'll put this in the show notes as well, Michael Levine can be found at Michael Levine, and that's L E. V-I-N-E music.com but like I said I'll put that in the show notes as well so that kind of brings us to the end of that article and the point here but I really think being a visionary pushing yourself learning what it takes to really do a great job and trying to push the form forward working having the work ethic um, knowing how to do your craft in a real way that produces the fantastic results that people are really going to be astounded by working with great people which also helps with the previous one right knowing how to charm them understanding the relational and social aspect and then at the bottom line knowing that you can deliver 100 percent of the time because you know how to do that these things are valuable in any profession any art form any of that and that's something that I'm trying to work towards myself. I gave myself a few days 
uh, to kind of come out of that, that funk before starting to do the podcast again, even though I do say I do it every day. Uh, sometimes it's best for me not to. I think that I don't think I really would have done anything of value. I hope you found value of this. I'm trying to give you something to think about. I'm trying to get back and kind of angling it back towards that aspect for you. I'm really looking forward to doing more of that as this time goes on. But remember, my main theme for a little while, I think, here is going to be the idea of less attachment, more engagement um, as a method for success. But now the sun's been up for a while. The world is coming to life. I'm on my second cup of coffee right now, so I'm going to sign off. If you want to send me a message, you can. MichaelAmaday.com in the contact form. It's a great way to get a hold of me. If uh, you find yourself being creative with poetry, lyrics, or short fiction, consider listening to my radio show, World Poetry Open Mic, broadcast every Friday at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can find us at worldpoetryopenmic.net. For this podcast, the next episode will be either tonight or tomorrow morning. So until then, keep living authentically and keep living creatively.